I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hey everybody, Mike Lejeune here with Game Changers for Government Contractors, and I've got a really fun but different episode for you today. We are always talking about how to win proposals or how to uh, you know, work through business development and different things like that, teaming topics or finance or whatever, but today we're going to talk about, to me, what is probably one of the most important topics in your business and that is your culture. And I found somebody on LinkedIn who really jumped out at me. You got Mike McDermott here. He's the president from Inquisit. And Mike, I just, I love what I've seen you posting about this topic and some of the things that are going on in your company. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do over there and uh, and we'll go from there. Sure, appreciate it. I'm a president of Inquisit. I've been here just a little over three years. It was a uh, Former 8A company that takes sometimes the, the track that some 8As take, whereas you kind of come out of the program and struggle a bit figuring out how to get to that next phase of the business's life cycle. And, and um, had actually been a consultant to the firm before that when I was uh, had an executive coaching business and um, kind of worked with the owners and, and structured a deal to, uh, to come over here and, and help them with that process. Uh, before that was CEO for a stint of a data analytics firm and run a executive coaching business. And part of that spent about 10 years, a little over actually almost 12 years at uh, Facile. So was a fourth employee there. Spent first several years doing a lot of sales and business development. We went from zero to 35. And then the last five years was executive vice president, president, um, business partner and I and the team there took the company from 35 to 150 million in those five years. And then I, I exited the company and took a little time. Yeah. Well, everybody needs a little time after doing all that. That's, that's a lot. You know, people always hear success stories like that and go, Oh, it must just be so easy for them. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure it was just, it was such a cakewalk and, you know, I've been in those businesses and it's not, you know, there that's uh, it's exhausting sometimes doing a lot of that, even when you do have the right team. So uh, you know, good for you taking some time off to kind of get yourself back in the game here. But, you know, one of the things that for me, when I was, I'm always on LinkedIn and it's always in the background on my computer. And when I'm scrolling through sometimes and I see a video and I see a video of you in the car, right? Or a truck, whatever it is. I see a video of you and you're, you're talking about employees and, and engaging them and different things. And I scroll through and there's some more videos. And I, I like the little cartoon when you guys did on, uh, on the people that are always protesting. Protest, <laughs> kind of, yeah. Yeah. Stomping their feet and all that kind of stuff. And, and it, and it just, it very quickly resonated with me, your passion for culture. 
and really building a strong team and, and listening to the players on your team. And I, I, I almost don't know where to start with this because there, there's so much on the topic of culture. Even I was looking at you doing the, the mighty meals thing for, for your company and bringing food in for them and taking care of them. And people just don't realize how important their team is. You know, I, I've seen people where they're like, oh, this is my rock star player and they're taking care of them and nurturing them. And then one or two bad things happen, and they're like, ah, uh, you know, they they bump them down on the list. The next thing you know, they're like trying to find a reason to get rid of that person. And so for me, seeing other people in the community who are so focused on building a strong culture because you know how much it pays out and what it does is super important. So I, I'm curious how you even – came to the realization of how important culture was and, and how pivotal it was. Cause I don't see you out there, you know, boasting and talking all about the contracts and, and all the typical things. You're really just hammering a new point of culture every time I see you out there. Yeah, I think it's a, it just over the course of running businesses in the industry, um, it became to me kind of apparent that it was a missing link, that there seemed to be kind of an over-focus on two things. Uh, wanting to talk about the, the latest and greatest stuff in technology, which a lot of the time was still kind of pipe dream stuff. Like, you know, for example, now, you know, let's be real about things like, uh, you know, AI and some of the, the different types of new technologies that are in the government. The government's years away. I mean, we're still trying to figure out how to really implement cloud on an enterprise basis. And cloud's been out since, you know, 2000, mid 2000s, really. Right. Um, so that, that piece and then as you opened up the conversation, kind of, uh, you know, how do I win? How do I win? How do I get more business? How do I grow my firm? How do I do all these kind of things? And I think that, that you know, we're in a really special industry. Um, you know, one is we actually get to do stuff that affect millions of people or defends the nation. Like, name another industry that has that level of a mission. And number two, quite frankly, there's not too many uh, other industries out there where, you know, somebody could go out, start a business, you know, talk to a couple of buddies, get a couple people out on a subcontract and, you know, all of a sudden be in a position to buy a new house uh, and get multi-year, multi-million uh, contracts, especially right. if you're in different socioeconomic categories. What happens is then then the, the drive becomes, I just want to grow, 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 grow. And there's this missing link, uh, which is the culture and the organization and the people. And there's almost this drive to well, what is what does this big firm do, or what did this mid-sized firm do, or they had success? What did they do? I'm going to do that, and, or I'm going. I want to learn to write proposals, so I'm going to go to Shipley, or I'm going to go someplace, and they're going to give me a process. And if I implement this process, I'm going to get better results. And the reality is that's only working one piece of the equation. Um, you know, I think it's kind of best explained. Like uh, if you look at John Wooden, you know, and, and the way he coached. If you look at, you know, Brett Ledbetter's rights on it in the basketball community, they kind of have this this composition, which is, in I believe it, which is culture plus process or plus a system is what actually yields the results. And people only want to work the process and the system. And the culture stuff can be, it's a lot harder to work. It takes a lot longer to actually make change or implement. It's much more fragile. It's not something you can put on a spreadsheet yet if you really concentrate on it and really manage it and really spend the time fostering and cultivating it 
it affects your top line and your bottom line much more than any of the more tactical things you can do will do in the long run. Yeah, I I, I love what you said there about how it doesn't show up on a spreadsheet because there, there's so many times you talk to a company and one of the first questions out of their mouth is, well, how is this going to affect the bottom line? How is this going to impact? And and you, you really, it, it's almost like if you don't get it, you're probably not going to get it. <laughs> like if you don't understand how having happy employees who are engaged and invested in your company is going to help your company, I, I don't know that I can make you get that at some point. But the people who understand the value of that but don't know how to do it are the ones that are typically listening to a podcast like this. You know, it's like they, they understand the value, but they don't understand because, you know, people are complex animals. You know, they're, they're, they're very complex. And, you know, you can't treat anyone the same. You know, it's like you want to treat everyone equally, but you can't treat anyone the same. And so it's a very interesting aspect of this, especially in a culture today where, you know, people are pounding home equality and all these types of things. And I'm like, there's there. I can't treat you equally. We can't because you're not equals in in the way you think, in the way you act. It's different, whether it's emotionally, physically, whatever it is, there's differences in people. And that's what makes it great that I can actually talk to Susan this way or Bob that way and get something different out of that relationship. And they can get that out of each other and just and kind of bring that together. So have have you seen those challenges, too, of, you know, again, there's the the focus on equality, but yet everyone's different. So, I mean, there's, so I, and what I tend to do is kind of have just a very, very open, very, very transparent type of work environment and use some of the tools that are out there. So I'll give you a, a, a good example of something like strength finders, which, you know, it, it's a tool that basically starts to look at and identify what people are good at, you know, stop trying to make people, really good or improve upon what they're bad at, which they probably weren't so good at since they were a child. And it's just frustrating to try to improve on something and start to recognize some of the things that they're really good at. And more importantly, you know, what we do is all of our teams, um, take the strength finders, uh, especially headquarters. We, um, we put the results out there for everybody to see, we'll map them. So everybody kind of understands each other's, strengths and weaknesses and so you know to kind of tie in with the uh with the spreadsheet example if somebody is very very analytical as opposed to somebody else being much more strategic and and futuristic and 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 is able to deal in the gray well how do you get that analytic person on board you see in in a normal environment what would happen is those two people kind of butt heads but when you're very transparent and you can kind of say hey look guys this is the way you think and this is what you're good at and this is what you think and what you're good at so yeah, we can all agree that this one person has this great strategic vision and we want to get on board, but maybe it would be good to get a little bit more meat in there so that if this person's asking these types of questions, they're probably not the only one and you're actually going to get a greater reach. So yeah. you know, we definitely encounter it and really spend the time trying to put some of the tools in place that helps everybody in the workforce and in the teams working together kind of understand and appreciate each other and thereby um, strengthen the team overall. I mean, you have, you want a team that's got as much diversity as possible um, that basically comes from the same kind of 
for lack of a better word, kind of ethical foundation. They kind of, they have the same overall character values and things like that, but they're going to approach problems differently. They're going to approach situations differently. They're going to approach people differently. And if they recognize that, they can really help each other out a lot. Yeah, no, no, that's a, a big point there. You know, I, I, I love hearing that about how you know they they all come together and you know the the ethical standard is all the same it's all it's all in part and i think if if you can mesh with somebody on that level that that's almost one of those like subconscious levels that if you can mesh on that level then the stuff above that just becomes easy and yes. it, you know it, it's it's easy to understand when i know that mike and mike are both you know, we're, we're talking on the same level. We, we have the same, uh, you know, type of integrity and it's very, tra- it's like you said, transparent. Then all the other stuff just becomes little because there, there's so many things that are little that need to be little when integrity needs to be an, a number one thing. You know, your ethics and standards, all those things need to be at the top. So here's here's kind of my biggest question for you on, on here. If I'm a business owner listening listening to this, what are the top two, three things, pieces of advice that you have for them on how to transform their culture? Because I know there's a lot of people, I think it was you and I that were talking about this a, a couple of months ago when we connected. In, in one respect, there is a very low threshold to get into this space. Like it's yeah. very easy to get in and start you know, winning contracts, it's not necessarily easy to stay and be successful. Um, but what do you, what type of advice do you have for a CEO who's in this business, whether they're new or been in for a while, and sure. they realize that the, the culture, the team isn't what they had envisioned and they know they want to make a difference in that. What, what's your top piece of advice for that? Yeah. And, I, and honestly, I've been through that situation before I've, I've had clients and I've coached them through that. And, you know, I, I walked into some of that here at Inquisit and I, I, the first thing you have to do is define the culture. So, so speaking from, you know, our point of view, just what I did here was, you know, I went out actually to silver diner, <laughs> sat there and wrote the Inquisitor credo. And I said, here's, here is the way in which I believe the, our culture is defined. And I, what I did is, because I was coming into an organization, I said, here's what I see, having been here several months now. And there's a composition of here of, here's what I think we all want. Because every organization, even if the culture isn't going the way that they want, there's certainly some really good things that are mm-hmm. in there. And so the very first thing to do is kind of pull those things forward and then figure out what are the things that you want to fix. So, and, and, and it should be simple, like real easy to understand. So for example, you know, what we talk about is earning our customers business every day. You know, yes, we're handed five-year contracts. We have long-term money. The government tends to not recompete things early. Then we have an industry where people can get, and we see it every day, get complacent. We won't, we will earn our customers business every day. So those types of things, where you they're they're pithy um make a short list and excuse me and and get it out there the the next thing is to communicate it so typically in organizations and and you kind of the scenario is if you're starting a business it's much easier right because you're starting it from the ground up but if you're if you're kind of trying to change that engine mid-flight or you're a new guy coming into an organization 
with that typical charter of, hey, let's take the business to the next level, then you have to really not just communicate this, you know, what's going to be seen as a quote unquote new culture, but you have to pay homage to the folks that are there because you are, can alienate a significant amount of the workforce if you're just seen as a new guy coming in. So, you know, that takes a real thoughtful and kind of intentional process of, you know, getting some groups together, going out with, you know, certain people to lunch or coffee and, and you know, letting them tell you the stories of the way things were, um, letting them have their kind of moment so that they look, they can look at the new guys coming in and they say, hey, this is where we're coming from. In addition to the people sitting at the table going, yeah, that's great, but this is where we're going to and you can facilitate that communication. And then the, the, the third thing that, that I'm at a harp on is hire and fire on that. Um, so work that culture that you've defined into all elements of your hiring process from, you know, the, the initial screening to the things that people do. I think behavioral interviewing and behavioral, um, I call it behavioral recruiting is the best thing. So for example, one of our, the things in our credo is that we will be highly responsive to all customers and inquisitors. Well, if I email somebody at six o'clock at night and they don't get back to me till 11 o'clock the next morning, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to try that one more time because that does not indicate to me that they're a person that's on top of their communication. So we do a lot of behavioral recruiting that aligns to our culture to make sure that the people get in. And then look, if people violate something that's on there, you know, we'll have a discussion or two and then it makes it very impersonal, which is, hey, this isn't Mike coming down on Bob or whoever it is. This is, we have all agreed that we're going to live by these tenets of our culture and you violated one of them and we can't have that. Hmm. And so you can, you can move through some of those discussions a lot easier. Um, but it, it does take a while. I mean, you really have to, especially if you're coming in with that charter, like I said, you have to spend the time in there getting to know the culture, be a little bit of a chameleon. You've got to kind of join the club before you can change the club. Right. Um, then you can start to define what are the new rules of that club going to be and get everybody on board, the old guys and the new guys. And then you can start making the membership dues a little bit different. Yeah. You know, I, I, I like that. There's several points there. You know, one of the first ones that I, I liked was about, you know, changing the, the engine mid flight. I, I think a lot of people love it when the, you know, the engine is on the ground in the hangar, you know, which is what I would call almost like startup phase yeah. where, Hey, we, we want to make some changes, take some parts off, do some things, but that's not reality for most people. Most people are mid flight. You're at 30,000 feet. Yep. The business is rocking and rolling. You're winning contracts and you do have somebody on the team. That's like, Hey, I just like to shut this off and make some changes. And like, uh, yeah, no, we'll crash. You can't, you, you can't do that. Like you, you have to figure out a way to work while it's in, in midair. So figure well, that out. And, yeah. and honestly, you know, new management tends not, not to come in when you're ascending. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. it tends to be when you're, when you're on the descent. And, and so, you know, I, I wrote a small piece several years ago about, um, you know, turning a business and coming into an organization and working with owners and things. And, um, you know, could somebody had asked me, what is the number one skill that you use when you're doing this? And I actually had to think about it for a little while. And I said, it's empathy mm -hmm. because you've really got to know that 
you know, no matter what you might see coming in and what you might think is broken. And, you know, you, you, you know, you hear the, the rants that people have, I can't believe they did it this way or, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> and no matter what they did it for a good reason at the time, because it made sense. And what you're working with is something that somebody else poured their blood, sweat and tears into and took a huge risk to create an organization that you now have the responsibility of taking and, and pulling forward. And you really have to have a lot of empathy in that process where you can really hurt a lot of people in the process, going back to the culture component. And if you've got a lot of people that you as a, you know, a CEO or president or whatever it is heading that organization have hurt, your days are not going to go real well for a while. Right. I, you know, when you're in a situation like that and you are a CEO type level, uh, there's a good chance you're going to have to to replace a lot of people if, you, if you're hurting a lot of people uh, because there's just no one's going to trust you at, at some point. So it, it, it's a it's a very dangerous game. You know, I, I've come into a lot of new organizations like that and, and you see things and you're like, what were you thinking when you started this? And for a lot of people, it was they were thinking survival. And so just yeah. put, you know, putting yourself in there to think, well, why did they do this and why did they do that? And you get frustrated and you always have to come back to, well, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that they're, they made it, they survived, they hit a million or whatever it was. And they have, you know, 25 employees here. We just now have to go back and clean it up and, and do some things, but there, there's still, there's some value in what they did. So I, I definitely see the value in, in, like you said, being a chameleon, hanging around, becoming part of the club finding out what's going on because uh, I, for years, a lot of our listeners know this. I, I worked with Tony Robbins and his team for years and it yeah. was so funny to me when people would come in, like new clients would come in and I'd say, you're supposed to ask this question. So, so why did you, you know, join whatever program? And they'd always say, cause Tony was selling it. <laughs> and you're like, are you, are you kidding me? And, and I, I'm, and I, not to, not to, to bash this in any way, but, People were so sold out on using the stuff that I would get on the phone with people. And this would be the third or fourth program they had bought for four or $5,000, you know, do the math on that. And that they had never even opened. It's just sitting on a shelf and, you know, and, and they would say, well, I don't know why it's not working. Well, one, you're not doing anything, but two, <laughs> you know, they would try some of the stuff. And I'm like, you have to remember that this was written for Tony by Tony. And it's not necessarily going to work for you unless you tweak it. And, you know, with all these businesses that are out there, they're trying to follow somebody else's system on culture, on leadership, on, hey, if we just, you know, keep filling the pipeline with sales, then eventually everybody will be happy. Um, you know, you know, and I don't need to pay attention to them. And that's why to me, it's so important for these business owners to not just be really good at sales, not be just really good at proposal writing or whatever it is, but actually be really good at people. And, and understanding that. And if you're not good at that and you're listening, I think that's where you almost have to, to just take a little ego hit and bring in someone who can either be the operations person or somebody else who can be the CEO and run day to day who is a people person and get around that. Because if you're if you're a 25 member company and you're wanting to grow to 100 and 150 and millions in revenue, you you can do it just beating your people down. You can do it, but you're, you're always going to have an open door, that revolving, 
you know, door from the, the comedy shows. It's just people are going to be just a flood in and out. You know, there's just no way around it. So, um, yeah, you, you have to kind of say, I, I am this and I'm not that. And, you know, and, and really start to, you know, put people around you that are who you're not. You know, and I, it's yeah. funny because I, I tell my kids, it's like all the people that you kind of butt heads with a little bit as you're going through high school or you're like, guys, you know, I'm an athlete and they're a dork or vice versa. Cause I've got both of my kids. Yeah. Um, so those are the people that you're going to hire because they're going to save your ass in about, you know, 10 years. Um, yeah. and you are just not thinking about that right now. Um, but you, 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 you know, you bring up a couple of things there. Um, you know, one is, you know, relative to that business. I think one of the things that I talk to folks around here is, you know, turning the contrast up. And when you're coming into an organization, you're trying to create that change, you're going to lose people no matter what. I mean, the, mm -hmm. the goal, yep. if things are not working well, to get them to work well, um, the goal is not to retain 100% of the people. The goal is to get to things to work well and, you know, kind of being real honest, which is part of the reason they're not working well is probably because you got some people misaligned or some people that do represent elements of, the not part, not good part of the culture mm -hmm. that you probably don't want. And, you know, executives need to be able to work through those things and with the right demeanor. Um, meaning, you know, so, so, you know, one of the, the, one of the good indicators for success, I think is honestly, when you have an employee that comes to you, that's kind of part of what that typical old guard is. And they come to you and they sit down in the office, they look you in the eye and they say, I just don't feel like I fit here anymore. And, you know, I, I, I've actually taken that as a huge compliment because yeah. say, you know what, you're right, you don't. And so let's now let's help you get to some place that is going to be right for you. And, and that's where executives need to remember they're on stage, you know, everybody's watching them. And especially in those, you know, first couple of years coming into a company and creating this change, doing all this stuff with the culture, because everybody's going to be kind of talking about it. Uh, all the things that you do and the way that you treat people on their way out is just as important as the onboarding of the people that come in because it's, you know, it's not just about that one. It's about the 99 that are left behind and their now new perception of you based upon the actions that you took. Um, and then on the, you know, on, on the what you are and what you're not, you know, big thing that I try to coach a lot of these folks on and, and try to do myself. And I'm telling you, when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to do, which is be an expert at asking questions. Yep. Um, it's, it's, you know, we, we tend to achieve a particular area within a hierarchy or be that younger entrepreneur kind of based on being a little bit type A, just barreling through and being able to make very quick decisions and be confident in those decisions. Just, you know, do all of those types of things that, kind of help the rocket get off the pad, but there's a little bit of a different skill set that has to be employed as the business grows, becomes more complex, has a lot more people that you have more distance from each of the individual employees because of that growth, et cetera. And, you know, slowing them down, which I've had to do, you know, a lot myself, I was terrible at that 10 years ago, yet still in a similar position, actually in a much bigger company. And, um, and it was a really tough lesson to learn because you just realized, geez, I could have done this better. I could have been better with these folks if I would have just kind of hit the brakes a little bit mentally and been able to think through the situation and just ask a lot of questions 
make sure that that person, I probably would have learned stuff and made a little bit different decisions along the way. It doesn't mean that you're doing things slower. It doesn't mean you're not making those same decisions. You're just employing the minds of people as opposed to employing your own sweat equity all the time. Yeah. And you know, what, what I like about that is part of what you're talking about there is the difference between being a consultant and a coach. You talked about being a coach earlier and, and I see a lot of consultants that come in, they ask a handful of questions and then they just start making decisions and moving things forward. Whereas the coach comes in and asks a lot of questions all the time and is the, the person that's, you know, whether they're on the sideline or whatever saying, well, what are you seeing out there? What do you think we should do? You know, and cause it's so funny to me how like I, I'm an idea guy. I have a ton of ideas and a lot of them work, but a lot of times they're not necessarily what the people on the ground were thinking. So even if my idea works for me, like getting them to implement my idea is so much harder than one they came up with. Even, yeah. even if theirs is 10% different or 20% different, it's like, but if theirs is, and I'm say it this way and no disrespect to the people on the teams, but even if their decision isn't as good as mine, but mm-hmm. they will implement and execute their decision, their decision's better than mine. Better. Yeah. It's better, you know, because they have some ownership over that decision. And, you know, can I, you know, bring some advice and adjustment into there later? Probably. But that's not my role. My role is to get them to execute on something new and to be proud of it. You know, I want people to go home and say, I'm so excited about being here instead of or guess what I did today at work instead of. Uh, you know, I'm going to eat dinner and then, you know, surf LinkedIn for some jobs, you know, because that that's what's <laughs> happening a lot of times. So getting them to take that ownership to me is is just a really big step. So when you're problem solving, which is another aspect of the question asking what you're talking about is and, and kind of putting on the coaching hat when I go to firms and I'm not part of the firm, people will say, well, how did you do it here? Well, how did you do it there? And it's, it's I've got to kind of say, look. I did it here, but you're not working with all of those people. And you're in an entirely different organization. You're the closest to the problem. So if we talk through it, you're going to have the best answer. What I did someplace else at a different time with different people probably isn't the best advice to give you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's like the biggest takeaway from a piece of advice like that is we worked on the culture. So, right. <laughs> so you need to, you need to go work on your culture. Well, how do you do it? Well, you know, not like we did it over there, you know, but you're going to have to do it the way you're going to need to do it here. You know, what, one of my philosophies, I always tell my wife, cause we're, we're in a small community uh, where we've been on, you know, presidents of different local charity boards and different things. And every now and then somebody will say, Hey, you know, I think you should join this board. And I always say, only if you're prepared to burn it to the ground and start over, <laughs> you know, because the things I hear on the street about your organization, you, I'm not saying we're going to burn it to the ground, but we might have to. So if you're prepared for that, then let's talk, <laughs> you know, because, because it's one of those things for me, it's, it's, I never want, you know, people to be in a situation where they hate coming into work. They hate coming into volunteer right. if it's a nonprofit where you want them to want to be there. And I, I know in some respects, some people are listening to this and going, oh, you know, you, what are you, a bunch of millennials getting on here talking about that? No, we're not. In fact, I cannot stand how our youth today is so focused on being comfortable all of the time. Can't stand it because it's not reality. But, but you can get in and do work and enjoy yourself and enjoy the people you're around 
without being entitled to anything, you know, and working for it all the time. And, you know, you yeah. mentioned one of one of the last points there that you were talking about earlier um, was a, about holding people accountable in the culture. And I, I'd like to know a little bit more how you do that, because I think for a lot of people, they they put the culture out there. Let's say they even come up. Hey, here's our new vision statement. That's always a fun one, right? Here's our new yeah. vision statement. Here are our new points of culture. Now we've communicated it in one email. We've communicated it through one all hands meeting. And I can't believe that Bob and Susan broke ranks on Monday. You know, what's going on? We're out of control. This doesn't work. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's, yeah. it, it always here. You, you've got to communicate it a million times. And even when you think they all know it, you still got to keep communicating it. Um, but but talk for a minute here as, as we start to wind down about the the process. Of, it's almost like the two go together, communicating it and holding them accountable. And, 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 you know, in, in our industry specifically, honestly, this is probably one of the hardest challenges um, presented. So, um, and here's what I mean. So you've got an organizational culture, yet you have people out working at a whole bunch of different customers, if you're on the service side, um, that have their own cultures. And those folks tend to be very, very immersed into those organizations, yet you want them to in some way um, highly represent your organization and the things that you're trying to do with it. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the first thing that that we do is, is we, as you put that culture together, um, making sure that it can be written so that people understand it's not an either or, but it's a both and. Hmm. Meaning you've got uh, let's we export import bank is one of our customers. They've got a, a culture of their own and we need to make sure that as we're talking to folks, it's not, Oh, that's the culture of headquarters, but I'm on site. It's, this is the culture of the company and you are on site. And yes, you have to kind of represent both, but it's really not that hard if it's very clear. Those, those cultural elements are, are clear and concise. I think a lot of what organizations put out these days when they're making those big vision statements and everything else are kind of fluffy and ambiguous. Um, mm. So if they're clear and they're concise and they're foundational in nature, they're not going to conflict with those organizations, meaning who's going to tell me I shouldn't obsess over customer satisfaction or pay attention to details or be responsive or be creative in creating um, solving problems and, you know, those types of things. Nobody can, nobody can say that doesn't fit here, um, but they're going to have their own on-site culture that is another layer and complements their day-to-day -day behaviors. Um, in, in communicating that, so we spent our first year and a half, what we did was, um, gosh, we did a rollout where we did uh, weekly meetings for several weeks with a, a lot of the employees. So I would go visit different contract every week. So I, over the course of uh, a quarter, would see every single one of them and have a face-to-face -face discussion on just different things. It wasn't, you know, hey, we're here to talk about the culture. It was more have a discussion around different elements of it and we kind of get worked in. I think when it's um, when you're there to just do that one thing, it, it comes off a little disingenuous. Uh, we did town halls every quarter, which was um, 
company-wide video. So we've got employees all over the United States and getting everybody together at once can be really hard and sending a single message can be really hard. But these days, I mean, there's video. So we would get on video. Everybody would join in. Uh, it was a little hard at that first one to do verbal questions. We thought we'd give it a try anyway. Uh, but what we did is everybody knew it was coming. They could submit questions ahead of time. Uh, and we opened up a chat so people could submit questions during the town hall. And those were incredibly productive. Um, you know, we got a lot of really good questions on things that were changing and things that were happening. Um, people could send them to, and I designated one of my folks who said, I don't need to know who the questions came from. I just want to get them answered so that there could be an amenity to them. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, we really worked it into the recruiting process. So that way we knew when we were bringing folks in, they were a little more aligned to what we were trying to do. Um, on the, on the original, the other element of your question, original piece on the accountability, uh, you know, there is, so there's an over communication is really the bottom line of what you have to do to get that information out there. People they have got so much information coming at them. And if you're changing something, they're just, they're, their initial reaction is just to vibrate, uh, especially adults. You know, you think yeah. kids, you know, kids can consume a lot more information and don't have all the same fears because, you know, they haven't had the bad experiences yet. Adults are actually a little tougher. Adults require more patience, more time, and a little more communication because their, their hackles go up quicker. Yeah. <clears throat> on, the, um, on the accountability side, you know, we did have to make some, some tough decisions. And, and typically I'd sit down with somebody, you know, two, maybe three times and, and have a, you know, a good serious discussion. But um, there's been instances where we've had to just, you know, remove somebody and say, hey, look, you're, you're great. But what we have here and the value system that we have here is not aligned to the types of behaviors that you're, you're doing. And here's some very specific instances again. And so, you know, we've got to move on here and, and have those discussions. And then I've had um, <clears throat> one of the things about our credo in particular is we've got what inquisitors can expect, uh, meaning that if you come work for us, what can you expect from me and from the management team and the managers, the executive team and the managers that I have in the company? And I, you know, when you inherit an organization, you inherit everybody, executives, right mid-level managers and all the employees. And there have been folks from um, all the way up into the executive team that are now operating at different levels in the business that make a lot more sense for them. Um, but it took a while to get there. I mean, it's it's easy to kind of run around and say, hey, you know, if you got to terminate somebody, you know, let them go and, and all that kind of stuff. But when you have really, really good people who are longstanding with an organization, um, there's a little bit more of a um, empathetic way that that needs to be handled, which is why culture takes so long to change and implement. Yeah. And, you know, I like, uh, you know, what you even said there that I think most people might have just glossed over is you call them inquisitors. You know, you, you have there's there is a, a, a piece there where everybody is the same. They're all yep. together. They're part of this team. And I, I, I always just smile when I see companies doing stuff like that because 
it's first of all, it's great that you know the name of your company just works really well with doing that, <laughs> and, you, and you don't have to create some something really hokey. But that you know that worked really well, and yeah. you know it just it brings people together, and you know the way you were talking about earlier about how you handle their you know the exit of somebody is so important for the people that are still there it's important for the person leaving obviously but it's important for the people that are still there for a lot of reasons because i think there are people who are going to be unhappy that will finally come forward when they see how gracefully you did it versus the ones that are unhappy that'll just start looking for a job when you know you kick somebody to the curb and i and i've seen that done where you know, people that were unhappy stand up and say, okay, you know, I, I'm not happy either, but I do want to be here. I like where we're going. I'm just not happy with something. And and you can deal with the something. And you're only going to have that conversation if they see you do things the right way. Otherwise, again, they're going to, you know, go home, have dinner and hop on LinkedIn or whatever and, and yep. search for jobs. And so it's just it's so important to have that very clear for them. There's there's too many companies that I see where if you look at their vision, the vision is win more contracts, do more stuff. You know, and, and, and to me, it's, it's so easy to even forget that to me, ultimately, almost every client of of our business whether it's you know products or service is a warfighter there's somebody on the ground somewhere could be in afghanistan or some hellhole somewhere around the country who's just they just want to get home to their family and you know they need strong it support they need um you know boots or clothing or armor or they need some sort of support that you don't even connect to it and we we forget who we're serving and you know for that to happen in the government companies again uh, you know, i'll reiterate again for people who you know kind of halfway listen to the podcast is you know it's so easy to get in this field and it's so easy to come out and start being successful and yet not stay successful you know do the long-term stuff and to me when people have issues in the business a lot of times they do take it out on their employees whether it's longer hours or frustration or different things instead of taking it upon themselves to figure out you know what's going on what is it in our culture what is it in our business process that's that's driving us to not be successful so it's the idea of ownership i mean it's yeah. if the things are not going well you know you at the top you own that yep um you know, and, and really find out what's going on. You actually have to get out there and to create the transparent communication. You got to make yourself vulnerable. I mean, you got to take your own guard down so that other people are comfortable enough to tell you, you know, it's, it's like it's the old adage of the emperor has no clothes. I mean, you have to put yourself in a right. position where people are giving you that information. Right. You know, and, and to me, it, it always rolls uphill instead of downhill. You know, it, it always comes down to the CEO. And my daughter's just graduated high school, you know, over the summer. She got in her first job and, uh, you know, she wasn't too happy about it. And she likes certain people, but not other people. And, you know, mm -hmm. now she's going on to another job. And as we're going through that, I'm pointing out, you know, I get that you like this person or that person, but the person at the top is responsible. And if you someday want to be the person at the top, you have to be responsible for fixing this stuff because she does you know, want to be some sort of entrepreneur. And, you know, when you're looking at that in an organization, even if the person at the top seems like they've got it all together and they're a champion of the culture, but other things are going on, there is no way 
There's no way in the world that they don't know what the other people are doing on the team. They know yeah. that people aren't happy. They know that somebody is not doing the right thing and they're overlooking it. And so it, the person at the top is responsible. You know, I don't, I don't care where you're at. You're responsible. If you don't know, you're responsible. <laughs> like, How can you not know what type of job, what type of leader that you have under you? That's we have a, uh, that was one of the major elements. And it's funny you talk about the kids. We mind the same thing. And I said, you know, the one thing you see, you see the one great victory or the one big contract that's won or the, you know, the things that get you the financial success. What you miss in that one victory is the 300 problems that you had to own to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of the big things when, when we, uh, when I was at the CEO, we created some of the different levels of the organization um, that we said at the VP level, that was the distinguishing element was no matter what the issues are in your portfolio or whatever it was, um, you own them now. So if you're taking on a problem, there's no looking in the rear view mirror. It's all windshield and you you own it and have to fix it. Yep. Yeah, there's just that's just the way it has to be. So, yep. you know, you and I could probably talk for hours. I'm sure we're going to do more podcasts. <laughs> so I, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to close with this. What final points do you have on developing a whole, a healthy culture? Take the time to do it. I think uh, it's one of those things that's hard to do. It's not necessarily one of the things that ends up at the top of the to-do list. It's very easy to take your day and be consumed with emails and phone calls and all the rest of it. But take the time to commit to getting a good culture in your organization and all of the top line revenue and everything else will be there. Yeah. No, really great advice. You know, again, we could probably talk about that for 30 minutes, but you know, really great advice. Thanks for being on today. And, you know, as usual, everybody that's listening in, Mike's contact information will be up on the podcast. You'll be able to go there and connect with him. I highly recommend you connect on LinkedIn with him and follow him and learn more about culture. So thanks again for being on here, Mike. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the invite. Before we get out of here today, I want to ask you a couple of questions. Do you want to get more out of your government contracting business? Do you feel like you need an edge or some new insights? Are you just looking for maybe even some motivation in the right direction because maybe you're at a plateau? Well, if you said yes to any of those, maybe it's time you join Federal Access and you can start your journey with us today for free. Federal Access is our online training and education knowledge base for government contractors. There's everything you'll ever need to win government contractors in there, including support. But free members can start out with a couple of really basic, awesome tools. One of them is our on-demand training videos called Strategy Playbooks. There's more than 60 training videos designed to boost your government skills by covering tips, strategies, market updates, and a whole lot more. And new videos are added monthly. So there's always new content coming in for our free members there. You can also get access to 12 key government sales templates and strategy documents to include a step-by-step market sales strategy document, a teaming and subcontracting questions to ask document, 
and two capability statement templates. So you can just plug in your information and rock and roll from there. So those uh, those tools right there are kind of a preview of everything that's in Federal Access. Overall, there's a little over 250 documents in the system right now, but you'll get access to those 12 key documents. You'll get access to the, the 60 plus playbooks and the growing library of that is. All you have to do is visit federal-access.com forward slash join. Uh, the link is also going to be in the description of this podcast, so you can go back later and click on that, but that's federal-access.com forward slash join. So again, if you're feeling stuck in your business, if you feel like you need an edge or some new insights, or you just feel like maybe there's some gaps of knowledge that you 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 just you don't even know what you don't know, right? Something along those lines, then join Federal Access today for free, federal-access.com forward slash join. Join today for free so you can get access to all of that cool content and see everything else in there that some of the paid members get. So you actually, there'll just be a little gold lock over the paid features and you can upgrade uh, whenever you like. Until next time, thanks for joining us on this episode of Game Changers for Government Contractors. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app to get notifications of new episodes. And while you're there, we would also appreciate it if you'd take a minute to write us an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcasting app that is that you use. So thank you again for joining us. Be sure to tune in next time for lessons from our experts on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.